y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 253. Let me just start out and say, I cannot be more obsessed with Miley Cyrus's new song, Flowers. I do like it, but it's an earworm, you know? And it just, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. So much. Like, I've been listening to that motherfucker on repeat. Well, that's how you normally do it, but yeah. True, true. But I am so invested in this story. I, like, have such a new found respect for her. Like, I've always loved her voice. Like, she is an amazing singer. But, like, some of the just stuff around her. Like, she's grown up a lot, and you know, but she is, like, on all the TikToks of her, it says, like, she's the embodiment of... If I'm too much for you, go find less. Uh Uh-huh. Because she is a lot. I was going to say, because you weren't loving her for a a little bit. Yeah, because it was just like a little showy, you know. But there's something about like an end of a relationship song when people finally can say what they've wanted to say. Like when the Gaslighter album came out by Mm -hmm. the Chicks. That song, Tights on My Boat. Natalie Maine says in the song, you can tell the girl who left her tights on my boat she can have you now. Is your dad going to pay your taxes now that I don't? Damn. Like, yeah. when they do songs like that, I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Kelly Clarkson did it too. Like, I just, especially when they, they go through these awful divorces with these people who try to take all their money that mm-hmm. they've worked so hard for. And it goes both ways. I know these are just women examples, but it goes both ways. Just a little backstory on... The Miley Cyrus. Honestly, I didn't even realize that she and Liam Hemsworth had actually gotten married. Oh I thought they God. just see. This is how like out of touch I am. I was going to say that's when you weren't liking her, probably. So they're at an award show at some point, and she does like the Miley Cyrus, like pretends like she's licking his suit, and you can see him mouth to her, like, "Can you just behave for once?" Mm-hmm. And it's just again because she's the embodiment of if I'm too much, go find less. She's just like, "What the fuck ever," kind of like shoves him. For this song, she takes the lyrics from Bruno Mars's song, I Should Have Bought You Flowers, I Should Have Held Your Hand, with his permission. And she flips it, and she's like, I can do all this shit myself, I don't need you. You know why she did that? Because he dedicated that yeah. song to her, like, at their wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, so she chose this song, she released it on his birthday. Mm-hmm. Then, in the video... She's dancing around in the suit he wore at that award show when he was like, can you just behave? Yeah. And in the video, she's da- I was like, God, this is giving me Joker vibes. Like her dance. And then I saw on a comment on TikTok, apparently like that's his favorite movie. Oh. And so that's why she, because I was like, God, she's dancing just like the Joker <laughs> in the movie. Like this is very weird dancing, but that that's his favorite movie. Oh. So that's why she was doing that. And then... The video is filmed in a house that he, I'm going to say allegedly, had 14 different affairs in. Yeah. So it is like the biggest fuck you ever. Yeah. So have you seen this stuff about Jennifer Lawrence, though? No. Okay. So the gold dress that she's wearing? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did hear about the gold dress. Okay. I I was thinking uh, Jennifer Lopez for some reason. Oh. And so I was like. No. So, yeah. So, in the video, she's wearing a gold dress that's very similar to a gold dress that Jennifer Lawrence wore at an award ceremony, I, I guess, for a movie that she did with Liam Hemsworth. Like, they're, they're like, together at this award ceremony. And she also dove into the pool in a wedding gown, which was um, the same thing that Jennifer Lawrence did in her Dior ad campaign. So it's like, I don't know that they, I mean, allegedly, but like, she's basically pointing the finger like, and Jennifer Lawrence was one of the ones he had the affair with. Damn. 
And of course, all the commenters on TikTok are like, no, not Jennifer Lawrence. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if the allegedly fits. <laughs> I am so invested in this, though. Give me a week and my ADHD will have me obsessed with something else. But like right, right now, I'm obsessed. <laughs> and of course, my source for that is completely TikTok. Like <laughs> nothing else. So right. literally all of that could be false. Most of it's not, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it's not, but it could be. But I mean, the people who spliced those clips together sure made it look not. Right? <laughs> well, you know what? You said Jennifer Lawrence dove into the pool with her Dior mm-hmm. commercial. Nothing aggravates me more than fucking perfume commercials like that. It's like the biggest name celebrity, and it's the most asinine commercial. It literally has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, and it's just like three words. Whispers. You know, and uh-huh. it's just like, wait, what? And you want me to buy $200 worth of perfume? When half the time, I don't even know what it's for. Right. Like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> no. A soft porn? I don't understand. <laughs> no, basically. Sorry, when you said that, I was like, yeah, dove into a fucking pool in a perfume commercial. I'm like, is this for a divorce attorney? Are we trashing the dress? What's happening? <laughs> But I identify so much with those TikToks that are, like, me completely jamming out to, like, the Miley Cyrus song. Like, all these breakup songs when you're, like, completely codependent on your husband. And if he doesn't text you back and just meet, you're like, I hope everything's okay. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, while you've been obsessed with that, I was obsessed with sending my satellite equipment back. Well, my living room TV is mounted on, like, the mantle or whatever. And... I had something behind it like that belonged to the satellite provider. Don't want to say who it is, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, we ain't trying to get sued. <laughs> I don't even know what you're going to say, but we yeah. ain't trying to get sued. <laughs> well, you know, I was like, I don't know how to take that down my TV to get it from behind there. So my brother was coming over and he was like, well, let me get his brother-in-law to help him because his brother-in-law like installs TVs and stuff. So to have some extra muscle, you know? So I was like, okay, okay, okay. So we waited for like a week to finally get this done. And my brother gets there and his brother-in-law gets there, who's like a brother to me. So he said, what do you need help getting down? And I said, oh, the thing behind the TV. And he literally just standing there said this and just (laughs) pulled it out. Me and my brother were like, huh? Like, <laughs> literally, jaws on the floor. We were like going to take down the TV to get it from behind. The- and he literally just was standing there and was like, and I oop. <laughs> Me and my brother were gobsmacked. And we were like, well, that could have been done by ourselves. Like, I was like, I could have done that. I thought it was like jammed up in there, you know? Oh, my God. Only you. I know. I know. Well, when you... I mean, because we went over there one day to, to fix something for her, and she said that. And I was just took your word for it. I didn't even try to look to see what it was. I was like, okay, you got to take the TV down. That seems weird, but okay. <laughs> but I did learn something because the TV in my bedroom, it's kaput. Like, it's no longer working at all. But uh, it's like 15 years old, and it's a plasma TV. So, I mean, I don't even... Do they make those anymore? I don't, I don't think know. so. But I learned from an inside source. He said when to get TVs is right before the Super Bowl. Yes. I was like, okay. Yeah, because they're having all those sales for the big game. Because they say that because they can't say the Super Bowl. Right. Well, he said those are actually quality TVs 
because the ones for like Black Friday and stuff, it'll be like just super cheap and just like any TVs. He was like, but when they do it for the Super Bowl, it's like the ones that you're like, oh God, I really want that TV. Yeah, I want to see that player's sweat drop from this <laughs> thing to this thing. I, okay, I, yeah, I was like, um, are we singing that song now? <laughs> no, that's the sweat drop down my balls. My, I want to see it drop down his. <laughs> To the pigskin, not his balls. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of clean balls, real toilet paper is back, and it's time to get real, real about down there. Okay, slow your roll there, ma'am. We're talking about rolls of bamboo toilet paper. Y'all, this stuff is chef's kiss. There's so many things about it I love. One, I love that the rolls come individually wrapped. I love how eco-friendly it is, and it gets delivered to your door. Real toilet paper is so freaking soft. Seriously, It's like luxurious toilet paper. And like I mentioned before, it is made from 100% bamboo. So they don't cut down any trees. It's even certified by the Forest Stewardship Council. And it's always shipped to you in plastic-free packaging. Again, can I just say luxurious? It makes you feel like you're in like a fancy, fancy hotel because they are individually wrapped and they have an R on them and it's like a really cute font. All the things, I love this toilet paper. I have used them since they sponsored us the last time and I have not stopped because you know why? I don't have to be embarrassed to go buy toilet paper at a grocery store anymore. Oh yeah, you told us you get embarrassed. Yes. I don't know why you get embarrassed about that, but hey, it's perfect for you because it's shipped to your door and you can either do a subscription or a one-time purchase. Remember last time Colby's mom came over and she thought I wrapped the toilet paper? Yes. And I'm just going to say it, it does not leave residue behind. What it does leave behind is trees because they are partnered with One Tree Planted and it's a certified B corporation so that with every purchase you make, they're planting trees. And the thing about the toilet paper being made with bamboo is that bamboo is cut like grass. So it's like literally cutting your lawn and it just grows back versus a tree that like a new one has to be planted. And I cannot stress to you enough, it is so soft. And y'all know I'm a bidet girl, but I but do love this toilet paper. Oh, Lord. (laughs) No, for real though. Like I still use toilet paper and I love real toilet paper. So what you need to do is you need to head over to realpaper.com slash creep, sign up for a subscription using the code creep at checkout, and you will get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That is free shipping to your door with 100% recyclable plastic free shipping. So that's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash creep. Enter promo code creep to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. So go to realpaper.com slash creep and enter promo code creep at checkout. Let's make a change for good this year and switch to real paper. Because real is the paper for the planet. Well, un momento, por favor. Okay, sis. <laughs> say less, because let me tell you, I'm going to say more with Babbel. Babbel is the language learning app that sold over 10 million subscriptions. 10 million? Like, that number is mind-boggling. And I know that number is big in any language. That's right. So whether you're getting ready for some new travel plans or you just want to pick up some skills for a new job or just for the sheer fun of it, Babbel is for you. 
It's addictively fun. It has easy bite-sized language lessons. And you only need 10 minutes to complete each lesson. So you can start having a real-life conversation in a new language in as little as three weeks. And I finally decided I am going to finish Italian. Because I took Italian for two semesters in college. And you know what? I am manifesting the waiter at the Italian (laughs) (laughs) restaurant. (laughs) As soon as you said you were going to do Italian, I said, well, I guess we're going to Italian once a week now because (laughs) this girl is in it to win it with this waiter. (laughs) I'm not lying. But also, I'm like, I want to finish it. I started it. I want to finish it. And Babbel is for me because, again, only 10 minutes to complete a lesson. And I need all the help I can get with the accent. Well, and it's speaking my language because it's scientifically proven to be effective. I think it's because they have so many different ways in which you can learn, such as podcasts, games, videos, stories, even live classes. And you don't have to do Italian because there's 14 different languages that Babbel offers. And you know what? Babbel comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash creep. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep for up to 55% off your subscription. Don't forget, babbel.com slash creep. Okay, so real quick before we get into our story, we can't forget the most important of all, Patreoners. Wow, I like went off key with that. Did you hear? I was like, I, I like went through puberty when I said Patreoners. I don't know a key. You just know the key to my heart. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. Well, thank you so much, Ricardo N. from Texas. Sylvia C. from Kansas. Jessica W. from Illinois. Mimi B. from Alabama. CCH from Georgia. And Jessica L. from Illinois. If you want an episode shout out just like these folks, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so for the episode this week, we're going to talk about Donald Henry Gaskins, who is also known as Pee Wee. So that's what we're going to call him. He was known as the meanest man in America. You're going to like this one. The redneck Charles Manson. What? I don't really understand that one, but here we go. Now, we hate Pee Wee. Just going to throw that out there. I've heard of his name, but I don't know him. Well, here's the problem with Pee Wee's story. We don't know what's true because they say that he killed from eight to over a hundred people. Oh, Lord. Right. So he's one of those serial killers that you're like, fucking eye roll. He had a autobiography that came out where, of course, he's like, all these things happened to me in my childhood. And these are all the people that I killed, blah, blah, blah. But then other people came out and they're like, that didn't happen. So honestly, we don't know how much of this is true. So I found this article by Henry Capps. Basically, it's an accumulation of all this other research into this paper. It compares what was actually in newspapers to what was in the book, The Final Truth, which is Pee Wee's book, versus also things that just Pee Wee himself said. And also because we don't really know exactly how many people he killed. I'm not going to go into every single person. So just know that there are tons of podcasts out there about Pee Wee. There's tons of YouTube videos. I think that there's episodes on Investigation Discovery about him. There's so much. So just know I'm going to miss some stuff because this is a big old story. So Pee Wee was born in Prospect, South Carolina, and that's where he spent the bulk of his life. 
Funny you should say prospect because that kind of deals with something in my story. Oh, I thought you were going to say that that's one of your favorite slot machines. With the prospector? Well, it is. What's that slot called? Where's the gold? That's right. By the time he was a grown man, Pee-wee was about 5'5 and weighed about 130 pounds. So he was short for an average male, and that kind of helped him be a terrible criminal and terrible person because people underestimated him because of his size. So his nickname actually makes sense because you know how some people, they'll say tiny, but it's like a big guy or whatever? Yes, people call Colby like tiny and all that stuff too. Stupid. But he was born in 1933. I mean, kids are mean now, but like, I feel like kids were real mean back then. Like now we know more about bullying and the effects and people are more likely to put a stop to it. I mean, obviously it still happens, but back in the 30s, 40s, he was getting picked on pretty bad. Well, and you didn't have anything to turn to. Like now, if no one wants to play with you, you could probably play on the PlayStation or wherever. Right. You. It's easier to find your people. Yeah, Allegedly, Pee-wee lived with his mom, and she had lots of, air quotes, stepdads, that these stepdads were pretty abusive to him, both physically and sexually. But then, of course, literally for everything I say, there's another article or whatever, or him, or the book, or whatever, that will be like, no, he wasn't abused. Take everything with a grain of salt. But as a child, he was harming animals. Now, apparently, Pee-wee didn't even know his real name was Donald until he got in trouble at some point when he was a kid and had to go before a judge. And they were like, Donald Henry, well, his name wasn't Gaskins. He ended up changing it. But Donald Henry Parrot. And he was like, that's me. What at school? They, I thought the same thing. I was like, I don't buy that. I don't buy that because I don't see teachers in the night like 1938 his kindergarten teacher being like Wee, right well and it's like not the first day at least right they're gonna call roll and say your name like yeah how small of a town is this that everybody knows ever you know what i mean like knows your nickname already like, right I, don't, I, I didn't buy it either okay that makes me feel better so Wee developed this friend group there were three of them total and they fancied themselves as a little bit of a gang But when he was 13 was really when, like, the petty bullshit went south. So he's 13, and this girl, who happens to be his cousin, denies his sexual advances. He can't handle it. The incel of it all. So he literally hits her over the head with a hatchet. He beats her up, like, black and blue, and then throws her in a ditch to die. What the actual fuck? Yeah. But here's the thing. Apparently, there was literally like a trickle of water in the ditch that she would like drink that kept her alive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When it ain't your time, it ain't your time. Right? So she eventually was found and this sent him to a reform school. Now, I'm collapsing so much information in this story. Just know that there is a fuck ton. But he's in this reform school. He tries to escape quite a few times. Apparently, one time he escapes and, like, goes and lives with the circus. Talk about Pee-wee's big adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So, uh, I guess while he's out with the circus, he ends up getting married. Somehow, he gets convinced to go back and finish out his sentence in this reform school. Allegedly, while he's in the reform school, he is abused 
by his peers. You know, he's a smaller kid. So eventually he began abusing his peers. I'm talking like they're like raping peers. Like this is, this isn't just like, oh, fisticuffs. Like this is (laughs) terrible things. When it was time for him to be released from the reform school, the head of the school literally wrote a letter that was like, he has not been rehabilitated at all. All he did, I mean, like he was throughout his whole life, an escape artist, escaping from prison, escaping from this reform school. Like he is not reformed. He has not learned anything. Like he needs to go to another facility from here because he was supposed to get out when he was 18, which is when he was released. This is 1951. And they're like, he, he doesn't need to be released. But of course he was. Of course. So after he was released from the reform school, he got arrested in 1953 because he attacked a teenage girl with a hammer. He loves that kind of shit. Yeah. A hatchet, a hammer. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, and I think that's how he was able to overpower people with his small stature is he used a weapon. Yeah. So while he was in prison, he did like what they do on TV and movies, which I think is ridiculous that it's like, oh, pick the biggest, baddest person in there and fight him. Yeah. Well, again, given his small stature, he did just that. So there was a, an inmate that was basically the head of all head in the prison. And he was, well, on the head, the toilet. Oh, the toilet. Uh Uh-huh. When Pee-wee went up behind him and slit his throat and killed him. What the actual fuck? What a, like, punk move, Uh too, though. Like, he is at his most vulnerable. Like, even dogs look for you when you're pooping. Yeah. How did he get behind him if he was pooping? I'm not really sure. All I picture is now Pee-wee sliding underneath the, (laughs) like, stalls and... And I could have added that detail. Okay. In front of him, but... (laughs) Oh, <laughs> get this though. Pee-wee claimed it was self-defense. Okay. Dude was dropping a deuce. Right. So literally he only got three extra years in prison for involuntary manslaughter. What the actual fuck? Yeah. Now, some stuff says at that point, he was the batter guy that was kind of the aggressor in the prison. But then some stuff said that he was actually raped in prison by an inmate, that he stabbed to get back at him and got eight more years. I just feel like Pee Wee doesn't have the connections and all of that to be big in prison like that. Right. Well, and then some stuff's like, did that last part even really happen? Because, I mean, you're using articles from the 50s to put all Mm -hmm. this together, you know? Yeah. While he was in prison, he was trying to escape left and right. And he did one time, like literally hid in the back of a garbage truck and was able, like got all the way to Florida. Oh my gosh. But eventually he was rearrested and went back and then got paroled in 1961. So when he got out, he did what he was good at. He was good at committing crimes. So he was stealing stuff. And people used him to like fence stolen property. So that was one thing like people knew that he was a criminal and like would use him to do criminal things for them. Everything I read and listened to kind of that was the case throughout where he would have these connections with people and be like, well, he was doing this for this person and this for this person. But I feel like that that kind of ended up being his demise. Mm. His murders were in his brain divided into his coastal kills and his serious kills. 
So he calls his coastal kills what you would think more of like the hitchhiking type thing. But he didn't really have a specific victimology. Like he killed everybody. It was more like opportunity. Kind of. Because his more serious kills seemed to be the people that he knew that had he thought had done him wrong or anything. So I think that the serious kills were just anybody he had beef with, kind of. Yeah, that was more personal. Right. But some of what he called his coastal kills were people he knew, too. Like Janice Kirby and Patricia Ann Allsbrook. So Janice Kirby was his niece. She was 15, and Patricia Ann Allsbrook was 17, and she was Janice's friend. Some stuff says he, like, found them high, and, like, he was very, like, don't drink, don't do drugs, like, you know, killing's fine, but don't do substances. Like, you got to live a clean life kind of thing. Oh, great. A hypocrite. Right. So he found them high or drunk and it made him mad. Other stuff was like, yeah, he tried to rape them and it didn't work. And so he killed them both. Wow. But he buried Janice Kirby, his niece, in the woods, but put Patricia Ann Allsbrook in a septic tank. But, like, he couldn't bring himself to put Janice in the septic tank because she was his niece. Wow. And then some stuff said, like, he killed Janice because she was drinking and then had to kill Patricia because Patricia saw. Again, take that with, with what you will. Man, fuck him. They were both just teenagers. I really feel like that true crime all the time. The past couple of stories that I've chosen, they have episodes on, but they have as many episodes as us. So, duh, it's going to cross. Yeah. But I was listening to, to them and they, they did it in a two-part series just to tell you how big this story is. But a lot of his victims that they went into was like 13 years old. You know, like they were all so young. So that was kind of a little of his victimology mm-hmm. was like a 13-year-old girl. But then again, there were others that it was like, sometimes a guy, sometimes a girl. Yeah. I wonder if it is because like at 13, that's when he went kind of like mm-hmm. his life changed. Okay. Picture little Donna. How old are you? 16. Really? Mm-hmm. They say that's when your trauma started. Mm. Like I picture like me as a kid, like... Whatever age, now I don't know how true this is, but they say that like whatever age you picture yourself as when somebody says, think of yourself as a kid, and that's what age your trauma started. Mm. Well, I guess as a kid, well, you said little Donna and I yeah. should have thought about it as a kid. I don't know, maybe eight. Eight, it was that. eight for me. Yeah, maybe eight. That third grade mark. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, but when I just think about like what I relate to the most, it's 16. That's so interesting. I would never have guessed 16 for you. Yeah. What are you, Taylor Swift? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then there was a woman named Martha Ann Dix. So she was just 20 years old. Allegedly, Martha had an affair with Pee Wee because Pee Wee got married like six times. He had two biological kids that he knew of. So he was getting married left and right. But at this point, this is 1971, and he was married. And, you know, he had an affair and she said that she was pregnant and it was his baby. So he couldn't have this. There's a couple of different stories for this, but he couldn't have this kid because he's married. And so he offered her a Coke, like a Coca-Cola, and he had put acid in it. Oh my God. So not even poison, like 
acid. Acid. And so she drank it. I don't know how much she drank of it. I don't know how she didn't just like immediately throw up. But but basically, he just sat there watching her oh die. Oh, God. What a sick fuck. But then there's other stuff that says he wanted to kill her because she was the one that supplied his niece and her friend, you know, Janice and Patricia, with the drugs. So she was this drug dealer, and that's why he killed her, because she was the one that gave his niece the drugs. But then another thing said that he had had a threesome with his wife and Martha and that she had gotten pregnant. So who fucking knows why? Well, I feel like if he had a threesome, then the wife knew that they had had sex, so... Right. Shit, it sucks that she got pregnant, but y'all all knew this. Then there was another one that said about Martha that he had taken her to a junkyard and told her to, like, pick out whatever car you want, and while she's looking, he shoots her in the back of the head. But we don't know Martha's cause of death? Some bodies were found, and some bodies weren't, and to be honest, I don't know. Okay. Because I I feel like I got lost a little bit in this story. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I just feel like there was so many names and... Could have been this, could have been that. Yes, that I'm just like, my head's swimmy from this story. I wonder if sometimes it's both, like how he raped his niece and her friend, mm-hmm. but they were high and that's how he justified could doing be. it. And same with her, Martha, like... They had an affair. She was pregnant, but he's like, well, she's the one who supplied them the drugs. And that was how he reasoned that away, too. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Well, then there was Ann Culberson. So she was apparently hitchhiking, and he picked her up. Oh, this is the coastal kill? It had to have been. Okay. He held her for four days, raping and torturing her. I fucking hate him. And then he buried her next to Janice Kirby, kind of making his own dumping ground. Wow. So then there was Eddie Brown and Bertie Brown. So Eddie was basically like an arms dealer. And Pee Wee would buy weapons from Eddie. Allegedly, the feds were tracking Eddie. And so Pee Wee got scared that Eddie was going to give him up. And he's like, I ain't fucking going to jail. So he killed Eddie. Well, because he killed Eddie, he had to kill Eddie's wife, Bertie, because she was with him. There was another hitchhiker by the name of Jackie Freeman. They did find her body later, and he was like, oh yeah, that's Janice's body, but it wasn't. And he had raped and murdered her as well. So this one's pretty rough. So the next victims were Doreen Dempsey, who was 22, and her daughter, Robin, who was two. Oh my gosh. So Doreen was pregnant again, and everything basically says that because Pee-wee is a a shit human in many forms that also includes a racist, Doreen was pregnant by a black man, and he was pissed about that. So he raped Doreen and her daughter, Robin, and strangled them, and some stuff says that he drowned them, and some stuff says that he cut their throats. Any of that is horrible, you know. He, what he did to a two-year-old. I can't even. Like, fuck you. Yeah. Okay, so this one is just so fucking ridiculous. Um, Pee-wee had kind of gotten caught up in this murder-for-hire plot, where basically he was going to get paid $1,500 to kill Silas Barnwell Yates. So that's why I said, too, like, some people would get him, like how he's fencing stolen stuff, like some people get him to do their dirty work. He did kill him. 
he slit his he slit his throat. Just I feel like that's so blunt and graphic, but he did. But you know, his body was found and all, and clearly it was cut by a knife. But he is like, no, it wasn't. I did that with a karate chop. The fuck. <laughs> What a fucking loser. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Okay. A karate chop slit his throat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He did kill Diane Neely. Now, she was 25, but he killed her because apparently he was bringing a lot of underage girls into the home to have sex with him. And she confronted him and threatened to go to the police. And I don't know how they knew each other or how she knew all of that, but apparently she did. Because I feel like people in the community knew he was doing stuff, you know? And all this wasn't like, I mean, this isn't like Murder, She Wrote. All this isn't happening in this little town in Maine, you know? Right. Like, some of this happens in other places. Mm -hmm. There was a young girl named Kim Gelkin. Now, she was only 13. But I don't know how she connected up with Pee-wee, but she did. And apparently she had been raped on several occasions by Pee-wee and other men. And to keep her from going to police, he raped, tortured, and killed her. And with Kim, he even told her family that, because I guess, I don't really understand this. Somehow she lived with him for a little while and he told her family, like, yep, I'm putting on her a bus. She's coming home or whatever. And then took her out on a deserted road and killed her and buried her. Pee-wee had a friend. His name was Walter Neely. Now, Pee-wee was very manipulative. And he had manipulated Walter into helping him a lot. Helping him dispose of bodies. Helping him do all the things. And Walter was Pee-wee's demise when it came to finally being caught by police. So the long and the short of it is, the police were on to him. They arrest Pee-wee and they arrest Walter. And Walter sings like a canary. He tells them fucking everything. The moment they said death penalty, he was like, hold up. What you want to know? And Walter Neely took police to Pee-wee's dumping ground and they found eight bodies. So he was tried for murder, just one, and he was found guilty. All this was in 1976. So he was sentenced to death. However, South Carolina changed their death penalty, and it got commuted to life in prison. But he's a damn escape artist. Well, this is where he fucked up. So in 1978, there was a guy by the name of Rudolph Tyner. Now, Rudolph was on death row because he had killed this elderly couple. The son of the elderly couple hired Pee-wee to kill Rudolph Tyner in prison for killing his parents. At this time, South Carolina had reinstated the death penalty. And Rudolph Tyner was sitting on death row. And the son was like, this is ridiculous. Like, these, with the appeals and all that, he's going to live forever. Because the guy was like 23 when he killed his parents, right? So Pee-wee had tried to do what he did before with the soda, putting some poison in it, by poisoning Rudolph's food, I believe, not just a drink. How? Okay. How, how does he get it? Unsure. Well, maybe I was wrong. He did have connections in prison. What happened was Rudolph just puked the food up. It didn't work. Well, so, he has an iron stomach. Right. Okay. <laughs> What's it like to be one of God's favorites, Rudolph? <laughs> right. Not really, because this gets bad. So he tells the son, Tony's his name. He says, take a shoe, take the hill off, put a little C4 in there. Close, Dynamite? Uh-huh. And mail me the shoe. He gets the C4 and he rigs up a radio. 
I don't know how he got to him because from what I saw, Rudolph was like on death row, which is more of like solitary confinement, yeah. right? So I don't know how he got this trust built up. He being Pee Wee got this trust built up with Rudolph, but they kind of became friends. And so what Pee Wee did was he basically made a bomb out of a radio. And he told Rudolph, you put this on your head, like, uh, um, like almost like headphones is what I'm picturing, but it was like, I mean, this is 1978, so like a radio, and then we can communicate cell to cell. Oh my gosh. So Rudolph did that, and when he plugged it into the power outlet, it exploded. Oh, fuck. So he killed Rudolph Tyner. But remember, now they got the death penalty. Uh-huh. And again, sorry, Rudolph, that you died that way. But you killed an elderly couple. Right. Like, fuck you. Right? I don't even like old people and that pisses me off. So the son, by the by, gets charged at first with murder. But he pleads down and gets sentenced to eight years in prison. And he gets paroled in 1986. But Pee Wee was convicted and sentenced to death. And the day before he was supposed to die in the electric chair, he tried to die by suicide by cutting his wrists. And it didn't work. So they had to, like, take him, stitch him up before they executed him. On September 6, 1991, Pee Wee died in the electric chair, and his last words were, I'll let my lawyers talk for me. I'm ready to go. Wow. There are some articles that think that his, like, coastal kills never actually happened. That his serious kills, air quotes, are the ones that he actually did you know, some of the ones that we talked, I know I didn't talk about them all, but that his coastal kills didn't really exist, they think. Some people think. Make of it what you will. And I very much skimmed over the surface of this because there's a ton that you can go into about his childhood and, you know, people he may or may not have killed. But ultimately, he was a really shitty person that we know probably killed a- about 13 people. And he liked the number 13 because he liked 13-year-old girls. Oh, fuck him. So, he's a shit, shit, shit person. Wow. Well, before we get into Donna's story and talk any more about mine, we got to tell y'all about Manicora because they are back and that stuff is so good. Okay, so you know earlier I said my brother and his brother-in-law came over to help me with my TV? Well, I was like, not to peddle anything on you, but y'all have to try this honey before you leave. And so I gave them both a spoonful and I was like, and now tell me what it tastes like. They both said it was super rich, like in a good, again, luxurious kind of rich caramel way. They were like, I've never tasted honey like that. Yeah. So I have a coworker that is like Winnie the Pooh, like loves honey, <laughs> loves honey. So I was like, you got to try this honey. And he said, it's the best honey he's ever had. He's like, there's nothing like it. When I told him it had like the caramel texture, he was like, you had me at caramel texture. And then when he tried it, he was like, this is the best honey I've ever had. It's the best honey you've ever had. But let me tell you why it's the best honey you've ever had. Exactly. So I went into the whole spiel about what makes Manicora so special. Right. The taste by itself, amazing. But then you learn about all the great properties and just how special Manicora is. Manicora comes from a very remote small island in New Zealand. And the bees feed on this highly active nectar from the Manuka tea tree. And it helps make this super honey. And legitimately, it's like any honey you've ever seen or tasted. 
They call it a super honey because it has unique antioxidants and prebiotics, as well as an antibacterial compound that we call MGO, and it only comes from the nectar of this tea tree. And this only blooms for just a little bit. It's not like, oh, it blooms all year long and it's so overpopulated and all that. No, no, no. This is super special, super rare. But have no fear because this honey uses ethical beekeeping practices that keep it 100% raw. And they make sure that they leave enough honey for the bees in the winter. I didn't know that was a thing. And I was like, oh my God, protect the bees. Absolutely. Which is why their beekeeping practices are so important. So whether you want to put this in a tea or eat it straight from the spoon, you are not going to be disappointed with this creamy caramel texture that literally melts in your mouth. Manicor's Super Honey is available in a range of easy-to-use formulas, including squeeze bottles and compostable honey stick packs that you can eat it straight or add it to your favorite food or beverage. And the honey stick packs, you can put those in your purse, like on the go. I mean, you could do it to the bottle too. Take it to a restaurant and be like, oh, got my own dessert. Hold on. <laughs> if you head to manicora.com slash creep, you are going to automatically get a free pack of honey sticks with your order. That's a $15 value. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash creep to get a free pack of honey sticks with your order. It's called Honey with Superpowers for good reason. So get on it and try this delicious, creamy caramel honey, and you won't look back with Manicora. Okay, before I get into my story, I just want to say something else about old Pee-wee. What makes me mad when people lie about who they've killed and they inflate their numbers, I feel like they're doing their true victims a disservice. Yeah. Because then you're like, well, did they really do this? I mean, we did find bodies, so we know... But it's also just like, I, I don't know. I'm just like, why do you have to lie about that? What? And because he's evil and vile and all the things. But it just makes me even more mad for his victims and their families. Mm-hmm. I always feel bad when we talk about a serial killer and I don't tell every single one of their victims because I feel like it's like, oh, you know, I didn't tell about so-and-so because they're just as much of a victim as anybody else. So I don't know. It's just something I think about But when we cover serial killers with like numerous victims because we don't do two part episodes and stuff. So it's sometimes literally impossible to talk about them all. But I feel like you're good at saying, okay, this is a condensed version of this, but I listened to this podcast and read this, you know, so they're just like dipping the toe in to the pool with you. Mm -hmm. But then they're about to take a deep dive with other people. All right. Well, I haven't done one of these in a while, and I'm not talking about a boy. I, mean, <laughs> well, I wasn't I mean, going to judge you, but... <laughs> technically, I am, but that wasn't what I was talking about. We're discussing a UFO encounter. Okay. You know what? I had somebody ask me the other day if you had done Bigfoot, and I was like, no. you know, she hadn't yet, actually. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Because they were asking, like, what kind of stories do y'all do? And I said something, they were like, oh, it's so like Bigfoot and stuff. I was like... Yes, but we haven't done that one yet. Yeah. That's just such a big story. It is. But this is not just any UFO encounter. It's known as Canada's best documented UFO case. It's the Falcon Lake incident. But before we get to the day it all happened, we need to get to know the person who had the encounter. His name was Stefan Michalak. He was born August 7th, 1916. 
He was a member of the Polish army during World War II, and he was actually captured and sent to a concentration camp. Gosh. Also, the woman who would become his wife later was sent to one as well, along with her mother and her sister. Stefan later became an interpreter or a translator for the Allied forces in Germany. And after he worked for them, they helped him immigrate to Canada in 1948. The thing was, he and Maria, the lady I mentioned before, they had gotten married in 1946. So just two years after they were married, they had two kids, and then they were separated for what would be 10 years while they struggled to escape Poland. Yeah. They were all reunited in 1957 in Canada. That's when they moved to Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada, and they ended up having another son. Stefan worked as an industrial mechanic, but his passion was nature geology, and he loved going to different areas and looking for different minerals and geodes. And he had recently found quartz and silver earlier, and he wanted to see what else he could find, maybe like nickel and who knows, gold. And so that's why he was at Falcon Lake that eventful day. Tell me why I picture him on a beach with his sandals and his socks and his hat and his white nose with a metal detector. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and it's not that. I know, but, <laughs> yes. you know. But that's why I said, like, prospect had something to do with it, because he was prospecting. So, picture it. It's May 19th, 1967. Stefan left the motel room at 5.30 in the morning, headed to the park, and around 9 a.m., he had located a quartz vein, He continued searching around the formation, you know, doing all the outdoorsy shit. Well, just after noon, like, you know, 12.04, Stefan heard a lot of geese honking and squonking. I know that's not a real word, but it just fit there. So he looked up to see what the fuck was going on. But that's when he saw two objects in the sky other than the geese. Stefan described them as two cigar-shaped objects, and they were emitting a red-tinted glow. As they descended, one stopped and just hovered in the air, but the other one landed on a large rock about 40 feet away. He said that the one that was still hovering took off again, and so it was just him and the one that landed. I just feel like they were like playing tag. I'm, you know, this is just my brain. And they were like, ha ha ha. And then they went to do it, like land. And then it was like, oh shit, gotta go. Like, sorry, get caught. And they were like, and I'm out of this world. Eh." Okay. So Stefan had some paper and pen to, you know, remember coordinates and all the things. So he grabbed those and he sketched that disc shaped object. Cause he's like, what is this? Stefan couldn't find anything written on the side of the craft, and it seemed to be made out of, like, one solid sheet of metal. Like, there weren't rivets or anything. It was just completely smooth. Besides, like, a grate that looked like an exhaust pipe or something, but even that, it just looked like it was all made in one, like, one motion. Stefan said he heard little noises, like kids' voices almost, but he couldn't be sure. So he walked closer, and it sounded like gibberish. He said it sounded like goody, 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 as the door slid open. <laughs> Wait. I'm, I'm telling you. 
That's what he said it sounded like. Did you see an interview? Like, how do you I did. That? I saw an interview. <laughs> <laughs> he was on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Wait, he did it again. Goody, goody, goody. <laughs> that's what he said with oh. his Polish accent. But that's that's it. What I want to know is how many times did you practice that? Not any. So that's probably why it came out like that. Because, you know, if I practice, I fuck it up. Oh, God, that was great. <laughs> well, Stefan didn't think it was a laughing matter, but he approached the craft and he really thought it might have been an aircraft from the U.S., So he called out in English, and this is what he said, so get ready, but he said, okay, Yankee boys. No. Yes, he did. Seems like you're in trouble, but I can help. When there was no response, he tried French, he tried Russian, he tried Polish, and then he tried German. Now he's just fucking showing out. Well, remember, he was a translator during the war, so he was like, oh, they might not understand my language, because he thought this was like a spy ship or something. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was just after World War II, you know, yeah, like all yeah, the things. Yeah. But I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? We all know that person that, like, speaks another language, and so they just, like, bust out into it for, uh-huh. like, minutes on end, and you're like, I don't, what, what the fuck are you saying? Right. <laughs> I know you, okay, you use Babel. Okay. (laughs) Well, no matter what language he spoke, he still received no answer. So he really was thinking this was an experimental aircraft, and so he was kind of curious as to what the fuck was going on. He got as close as he could to the object and peeped inside via the door that was open. He had to put on his welding goggles because he had them on his head, And the light was so bright from inside, he had to put them on to, like, shield his eyes. He had his goggles on because when he was, like, chiseling away at the rocks, trying to get down to the veins and all the thing, like, he was protecting his eyes. And he said that he saw several bright lights, and they were in horizontal and diagonal patterns. But just after a brief moment, that door slid shut. And Stefan was amazed. And just looked in awe at this object in front of him. He marveled at the metal again. And up this close, he still couldn't see any markings or anything that looked like it had been built. It just looked like it was created. So he had gloves from messing with the rocks. And with his gloved hand, he reached out just to touch it. And it singed his fingertips in the gloves as they landed on the craft. What the hell? And all of a sudden, the saucer, the craft, it turned counterclockwise. And while it did that, it was like exhaust came out of it. And the force knocked him backwards and his shirt actually caught fire. Oh my God. So he quickly took off the shirt as he watched that craft hover about 40 feet in the air. And then it vanished into the sky as suddenly and mysteriously as it had appeared. Stefan didn't feel great. And I mean, he was still freaked out as anyone would have been. So he was like, yeah, something smells weird here. And I don't know what just happened. So let me go back to my motel room. Like, let me try to get my head on straight. But on his way back down, he started getting a really bad headache, like migraine level headache. So bad, he was seeing spots. He broke out in a cold sweat ended up throwing up several times 
on the trek back to the room, and he was just like stumbling and almost tripping over his feet. Stefan tried to use his compass to find his way back, but the needle was going haywire. But as luck would have it, there was an RCMP officer, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So Stefan approached him and asked him for help and kind of told him what happened. And the RCMP just was like, go sleep it off, thinking he was drunk. So Stefan kept stumbling and tumbling his way. And around 4 p.m., Stefan made it back to the motel and asked where the nearest doctor was because he wasn't feeling any better. He was honestly feeling worse. And the nearest doctor was 45 miles east. And so he was like, shit, I can't make it that far. If I'm going to travel that much, I might as well just go back home and be with my family and have help through this. Well, of course, his luck just kept being terrible because the bus to Winnipeg wasn't going to arrive for another four hours because it was coming at 845 that night. But he was determined to get home to his family. So he called Maria and told her, hey, there is an accident. I'm okay, but I'm coming home and please have our oldest son to meet me at the bus terminal at around 10. So when he arrived back in Winnipeg, his son rushed Stefan to the hospital. They treated his symptoms with medicine, but they were stunned at the burns on his chest and even more so the burns on his abdomen. It was in a grid-like pattern. And now the doctors didn't know this, but that was the same pattern that Stefan had sketched on that craft, like that exhaust vent. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing doctors couldn't figure out is why Stefan smelled like sulfur or just a horrible stench like that. It wasn't like fire. It was more of like a rotten smell. And his burns weren't like third degree burns. So it wasn't just like burning flesh. It was sulfur. So the doctors treated Stefan, but his symptoms continued. They sent him home with medications for his headache, his diarrhea, and his nausea. Sounds like just a day in my life. I was going to say, I mean, that's your trifecta right there. While at home, though, Stefan experienced some blackouts, and he started dropping weight rapidly. That sulfuric smell was unwavering though. Like no matter how many baths he took, the stench was just there. It was like it was seeping out of his pores. And it lasted until several weeks until it finally just dissipated. Well, Stefan and his family needed answers. And so they went to the Mayo Clinic to get him checked out. Shit. Yeah. And the doctor said that cognitively, Stefan was sound. But they thought everything he was experiencing could be caused from radiation poisoning. They tested him, but it came back negative. Eventually, his symptoms would clear up, but they never fully went away. Stefan was plagued with health issues the rest of his life. And the burns would reappear on his abdomen periodically as well. Stefan playfully referred to them as his buttons because if you pressed in on his abdomen, you could feel the subcutaneous scar tissue from those burns in that pattern. On June 30th, which was six weeks after the incident at Falcon Lake, Stefan and his friend went and searched for the site again because he had went up there with like the RCMP. He went up there with, I think maybe the Air Force. But they really couldn't find that same spot. And he's like, look, 
I was like going where the geodes were and all these things. Like I wasn't paying that much attention. And then bam, this happened. And like, yeah, I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly where I was. And then when I was coming down, I was in a fucking daze. So he's just, you know, trying, but they're like, okay, this is fishy, you know, but Stefan and his friend were like, no, I know we can find this site. Like we've searched, you know, this location, let's try here. And after hours of searching, they found a circle where the vegetation and everything was burnt. It was circular and the radius was a little more than 15 feet. Upon further inspection, there were some nearby trees that had dead branches. And it wasn't just like the full tree was dead. It was just some that it looked like if something had touched it and it poisoned it. Stefan didn't know what for sure happened, but he wanted to warn others about that area. And so he finally went public with this story and it was published in the Winnipeg Tribune. Different agencies from all over, like I had mentioned, descended on the Falcon Lake site. And when they found that location, they went and took samples of the soil and all the things. And there was some metal that seemed to have melted into the cracks of the rocks. And those samples came back with high levels of radioactivity. Now, they later found that there was a radium vein that ran under that region. So that could have been the reason for the high radioactivity. After months of investigation, The case was simply declared unsolved, hence it being on Unsolved Mysteries. So there were skeptics, of course, and those skeptics say that Stefan stunk because of alcohol and he was hallucinating because he was so intoxicated. That's also why he was so sick and stumbling when the RCMP saw him. And they said, oh, he could have burned himself on something because he was drunk and it was like a tool or a machine that he was using for prospecting. And they said, well, the reason why the returning grid pattern burns happen is because that's an allergic reaction to something. And they believe that the reason why Stefan would lie about this UFO sighting and being burned by it and all of that was to scare people off who wanted to prospect in that area because he wanted to keep it for himself. Stefan was a smart man, and he would have known that if someone says UFO sighting and some weird shit happened, people are not going to be like, oh, can't go there. No, they're going to flock to that fucking location. And so it wouldn't deter people. Like, that would be like, bing, bing, bing. Right. And also, Stefan said he did not drink. Now, the bartender in the motel was like, he drank five beers the night before he went out. And Stefan's like, no, I didn't. No one can find receipts, you know? So it was just like, he said, he said, what do you do, you know? Yeah. Also, when the story broke about his experience, the media was in a frenzy. And Stefan was not a fan. His youngest son was 10 at the time. His name was Stan. He got bullied in school because of his dad's claims. So it wasn't like anything good came out of this incident for their family. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, Stefan's experience at Falcon Lake was featured on season five, episode eight of Unsolved Mysteries. There were different books written about it. Um, not really by him, but some by his son, I believe, and one by like a researcher. Because there was lots of documents about this. Again, Canada's most well-documented UFO encounter. Stefan Michalak, he died in 1999 when he was 83 years old. Cool. 
Now, his whole life, Stefan said he didn't know if it was aliens or not. You know, he's like, I'm not one to say there's not aliens out there or there are aliens out there. But he really believed like that was a UFO as in that was some top secret government experiment, something that like we shouldn't have known about. Ultimately, a UFO just means it's unidentified. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean alien. Right. You know, he never said like, oh, I saw little green men. I did all of this. No, he was just like, this weird craft came down. I got burnt by it. And not just like, oh, I went inside and got burnt. No, it was like what you would think, like exhaust coming off and burning him. And, you know, like the metal being hot to the touch, Mm -hmm. but just extremely hot because who knows? Because, I mean, it was like a red tint. So you can only imagine like how... I mean, I've only seen this on, like, uh, Apollo 13 and shit. But, like, when they test out the space shuttles and stuff and, like, well, they because burn up. Yeah, because they get so hot and coming back into the atmosphere yeah, or whatever. all I don't the know. things. So, Hidden it's like... Fig- learn that on Hidden Figures. Yes, yes. So, I'm just thinking, like, if they were glowing red or something, it could have been from something like that. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, they were out of this world. No, it was something like that. And that's why it's declared unsolved because they can't come back and just say, oh, yeah, and we were testing this, like, Cold War shit going on. You know what I mean? But his son, Stan, was like, it's been so long. I wish they would just declassify it and say, oh, yeah, we were testing out this. It never even worked or it did work or whatever. He was like, just so we would know. Yeah. Because it really plagued Stefan all his life because he's like, I wouldn't make this up. You know, he's been through some shit. Right. And he survived. And now he's like telling this and he told that out of like, I don't want anyone to be up there and it get worse or or get hurt. Yeah. And so it's just like he did it and then it backfired. But then people are like, oh, he's a drunk. And it's like, what? Yeah. I, you know, it sucks with something like that because their character always gets attacked And in this case, there's literally nothing to back it up other than one bartender being like, yeah, he bought all these beers. Yeah, and five. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not like, oh, he emptied out the mini bar. He did this. He had that. He was stumbling out that next morning. He wasn't. And no one found any alcohol out there. You know what I mean? I just feel like if he was in that bad of a shape from whatever he was doing up there, he didn't have time to clean up. And they went back out there and nothing was there. Yeah. I really don't feel like that's that much. Like, did he drink it all in three seconds? Because that would be the only time. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. I mean, how how long are we talking? Exactly. But, you know, we always talk about UFO encounters, alien abductions and stuff. And it's always just people, random people. And so is he. I mean, yes, he has a backstory. Everyone has a history. But it's random people because they're outside. Like, it's not going to really happen to us because uh, we inside. They're going to have to crash through the roof. Yeah. And even then, I'd be like, whoa, Netflix has special effects. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, he was outside doing his thing, loving the earth, being thankful that he had made it to Canada. You know, he was just one of those people who was grateful for the life he had. Yeah. And then, like, he couldn't even really enjoy prospecting anymore. Like, he didn't do it. I mean, did he get any money out of it? Honestly, I think maybe, I think at one point he wrote a pamphlet because he was so tired of telling the people who came to his house and stuff. Mm -hmm. They would just hand 
them this pamphlet that he wrote. Like, this is what happened. Yeah. And they might have charged a little bit for that. But I think that was like kind of later on when he was just like over it all. Yeah. And when this happened, he was like 50 something. So he wasn't just like a young whippersnapper that's like, I'm going to like retire early off of all this publicity and all the things like, I don't know. Well, how you were saying about the radium being there, I mean, could that account for some of the burning, I wonder? I'm not sure. I feel like there's an explanation that, I mean, the explanation could be government stuff. I don't know. But I do feel like there's an explanation. Just when are we going to get it? Right. When is something going to be declassified? Yeah. And what sucks is that Stefan will never know. Right. I really don't think that aliens, like, come to Earth But I've said this and I'll say it again. It's pretty myopic, for the lack of a better word. I don't know if that's the word to even use. But and narcissistic to be like, of all the galaxies and all the everything, when there's an infinite amount of universes that there could be like a doppelganger Earth. And to think that they can't travel is ridiculous. Right. Well, I'm not saying that they're, oh, there's no aliens. This isn't true. I think that there's another explanation for this story. Yeah. I think it's a UFO in that it's unidentified. Right. And you know, I'm nosy, so I want to know, what was the government doing? Well, you just go out to stay nosy, because we ain't never going to figure that Mm -mm. out. But I really do feel like they were, like, testing it out, doing whatever, and then one was like, and I, oop, back out of here. And the other one maybe was too hot, so he couldn't, like, leave right then or something. I don't know. But I don't understand how the burns, like, reoccur. I don't know that either, but he said, like, they would pop back up and, like, everything. But I know that where you gave me my Lovenox shot. Oh, God. Like, I mean, you remember right after I almost died? Yes. And I was in the hospital? Um, There's still a knot there. And they say, like, Lovenox is really bad about that. But out of all those places, only one still has a knot. Yeah. And, like, I can feel it. Like, I would be like, here, press my button because it's still right there. Yeah. And sometimes when I'm more inflamed, it does feel more prominent. Yeah. So maybe that was it. I'm not sure. I mean, not Lovenox. I I don't know. But he had health issues after that. And he did not have those before. Yeah. So something up there was, like, toxic. So, I mean, who knows? That's why the government's not coming forward because, oh, shit, we'd have to pay insurance and shit on him. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, even think about, that's why I think it's like some sort of like radiation exposure because, I mean, if you think about like Chernobyl, you know, yeah, I don't know why I said it so aggressively. I don't know either. But you get the point. But that's why I just feel like it was something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just going to stick by, I think that it was some sort of like radiation poisoning type thing. I could buy that. Well, let us know what you think about both stories, but I have something I want to ask Carrie. Oh, God. So it's true crime adjacent because I saw it on TikTok. That's, you know, our news outlet, i.e. what she got all of the gossip about Miley with. Um, But did you hear about that six-year-old shooting the teacher? Yes. Okay. So because I don't know all the, I mean, I don't have a kid and all the things, but you do deal with children in your occupation and things like that and your sisters in the education system and if, if that's what you call it. Obviously, I don't know anything about this. However, the parents wrote a letter and said, you know, we're very sorry for the actions and that incident, but they didn't even say 
the teacher's name. Her name is Abby. And they said, like, we're so sorry for our son's teacher. Wow. Yeah. Well, so they were like, we're very careful with gun safety and stuff. And it's like, well, obviously not. I'm not saying anything about guns or whatever, but like, please don't say you're safe with guns and your six-year-old brought one of your guns to school. school. But they said, okay, so our child has a disability and every day one of the parents was at the school with him and went to every class with him. What? Okay. I was like, huh. So I looked on some of the things because I was like, that doesn't sound normal to me. Like normal as in I mean, they have people who would do that. Allowable in a school. Yeah. Not your parent. Right. You know? And so a lot of people were like, I think this is a thing, but IEP or something. Yeah. They're like, that ain't what our school has. Or, you know, like they would never allow the parent to be there. They would have appointed people. Right. To be there. But this was like the first day or the first week that they weren't at school. Mm Mm-hmm. And like with him, and that's what happened. But I heard, and I need to go on a deeper dive, but I heard that the teacher, Abby, had complained and said that she felt like she might be harmed by him. So I don't know what the kid did like beforehand. Yeah. Um. So if y'all know, let me know. But I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think with this whole case? Because they're saying like you can't be convicted of murder like under the age of 10 or something. Yeah, I saw I saw something like that too. I don't quote me on the actual numbers, but um okay, so any kid with a disability gets an IEP. That's an um individualized education plan. So depending on what their needs are depends on who's involved in the IEP. Like as in what services they get. Do they get occupational therapy? Do they get speech? Do they need inclusion? Do they need like what services do they need? Yeah. With that said, I've never worked in the school system, but I have never heard of a parent being a um they're called like paras. There may be a, a more recent term, but like it's like a um a para is basically someone that helps the kid throughout the day because some kids do need that level of Mm one-on-one assistance. I've never heard of a parent being a para. Now, I don't know everything, but I highly doubt that. But I mean, surely the school system would be like, they weren't with him every day. You know, I feel like the school system would have been like, that's not true. Yeah. And I haven't heard a rebuttal or anything. This was before we started recording. I saw a TikTok about it, that like press release, basically. But also, like, what do you think about some people were calling for the parents to be charged with something? I think that's a slippery slope. I mean, in this opinion, some people may have complete opposites because, you know, gun control is such a hot button issue. Yeah. But I definitely think that you can safely have guns in the house with kids. Yeah. I grew up with guns in my house. You know, I have tons of family that have guns in there, you know. So I, I definitely feel like you can safely do that by teaching your kids gun safety and an appropriate level of fear of guns. But as far as the charging of the kid, a kid under the age of, I think, 10 can't be charged with a crime or under the age of, I think it's 10. So he can't be charged. I think it's a slippery slope to charge the parents. Yeah. I, I, you would have to say, where was the gun? 
where, you know, did they have it in a gun safe? Did they have it? Was the safety on? Was the, you know, were right. the bullets separate? What, you know, what was the situation? Because, I mean, ultimately, a family has the right to have a gun for their protection. But you also have to remember, we grew up in the South. People hunt. Like, we get some of our food from hunting. So, we have guns because we hunt, you know. So, again, I think that you can safely have guns in a house with a kid. So now were the parents negligent with where the gun was stored? Was it just sitting on the kitchen table or was it locked in a gun safe? Right. And, you know, so I think that there's differences. There's as like far parameters. As that. Yeah. So if the gun was locked in a gun safe and the safety was on or it wasn't loaded or whatever, and the kid did that, then I think the parents did their due diligence. So that would be my decision tree kind of of, did the parents do their due diligence or not? Yeah. To safely secure the weapon. Yeah. Because you have to think about police officers go home every single night in every single city across the world with guns in their house. Yeah. But they'll have like a little gun safe or whatever. You right. Know? I remember hearing that a teacher got shot by her student. And when I heard it was a six-year-old, I was like, wait, what the fuck? Is this a joke? Like a six-year-old? I know, it's so, so sad. Well, and to like, you know, a moment decision from a very young child could potentially alter their life forever. But it did alter the teacher's life forever. You're right. Oh, I don't know. It's just so, just hard. Mm-hmm. So y'all let us know about everything. Tell us what we don't know about this case, because it's a lot, apparently. But also be very respectful of everyone's opinions. Because we all have them. You don't have to say yours is wrong, mine's right, anything. Just state yours. Yep, because opinions are like assholes and everyone has them. And since you do, check out Real Toilet Paper because it's amazing for your asshole. And then do like Donna. See if your butthole opens or closes when you laugh. (laughs) When you laugh hard, not just a giggle. It's got to be a hearty laugh. Like... Picture Santa Claus. <laughs> yes. And then does your butt open or close? <laughs> but more importantly, remember. Creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.